Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the Northern Collective Church. Uh, my name is Harrison Kwok, and I'm the pastor here. Our mission here is to know, love, and serve Jesus Christ while teaching all people to do the same. Our vision is to see thriving, gospel-centered churches in all Yukon communities by making disciples that make disciples. Yukon has 20 communities. Whitehorse is one of them, and we want to see thriving churches in all of them. Some have uh, churches already, and some have believers already, and I'd ask you to pray for them. And over half of these communities do not have a church. And we are privileged to be working alongside uh, Brent and Jody Ristow, who work with Ethnos Canada, and they're ministering in Carcross alongside Wayne Josephine Holmes. So please pray for them as they continue to share the gospel in Carcross. And also pray for the Northern Collective as we continue to build relationships with people in Pelly Crossing. Uh, we're hoping to go there this summer and hold a camp for the kids, and uh, we pray that the restrictions are minimal then and that we can go and bless the community with uh, the good news of Jesus. If you'd like to connect with us, feel free to message us uh, in the Facebook feed. Uh, you can email info at northerncollective.church or call me at 867-333-9422. This kind of feels like a talk show, and uh, this isn't typical of what we do. Uh, with some of the restrictions in the Yukon, uh, we've decided to uh, film the message online, so we won't have any singing. Um, I won't be singing. Uh, viewership, I'm sure, would drop if I did that. But we want the message of Jesus to continue to go out, and we're grateful for you for listening. Please pray with me as we get into the book of Ephesians. Uh, we're going through this letter that Paul wrote in prison. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, but please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are and your kindness. Many of us, we come from different stories and backgrounds. Some of us are in darkness right now and feeling a bit low. Would the words of the scriptures bring light and hope to these situations and to these people? And would they see the good news as good? Would they see Jesus Christ as amazing? I pray for the Yukon during this time of uh, restrictions. We also pray for uh, those who have lost their lives to overdoses throughout the Yukon. And pray for the three young people in Carcross who were lost earlier this year and the many others throughout the communities. We pray that you bring hope and healing in these communities in the power of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. So Father, guide me now as I open up the book of Ephesians and its second chapter that we would learn what it means to be alive in Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you're not familiar with the book of Ephesians, it's quite possibly one of the most amazing letters that the Apostle Paul wrote. Possibly one of the greatest letters in the entire Bible. Now, Paul formerly hated Christians. In fact, he had a warrant from the government to go from town to town, putting them to jail and killing them. Jesus Christ encountered Paul, changed his life, Paul went from persecuting Christians to proclaiming the gospel. And he started new churches all over the known world. Starting new churches is what we call church planting. So he planted all these churches. 
And one church he planted was in a town called Ephesus. And this is where we get the letter to the Ephesians. He actually wrote this letter during his two-year stay. Stay. He was in prison for two years. He was in house arrest. He was chained to a guard. And in this two-year time in prison, one of his letters was to the Ephesian church. We are going to go through all four of his letters that he wrote in prison. We just finished Philippians. We'll complete Ephesians. We'll go to Colossians. And we'll read Philemon as well throughout the few months that we have together, Lord willing. And so today, today we're at chapter 2, the first 10 verses. And these verses could be some of the most beautiful statements about the good news, about the gospel of Jesus in the entire Bible. In these 10 short verses, we learn what it means by salvation by grace through faith. We'll explain that in a minute. And the theme of these 10 verses in chapter 2 is how God lavishes his grace towards us by saving us from our sins. So it is our hope at the Northern Collective that we preach through the Bible, preach the word of God, that I'm not just sharing my ideas, but these are God's ideas, and that as you hear them, that these words would transform your life. And if you are not a believer, that these words would make you want to follow King Jesus. So we'll start chapter 2, verse 1 of Ephesians. Paul writes this. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Paul right here is laying down some very, very hard teaching. Right away he's saying that everyone is born spiritually dead unresponsive to God, and follows the ways of the world. We have no ability to follow after God. We have no ability to please God. We are dead. We are dead in our sinful nature. And that's a problem. That's a problem because we need to be made alive, but we have no ability to do so. It's not that we're sick. Or we just need a little bit of help. It's that we're dead spiritually. And we cannot say to a dead person, get up. Go take some medicine. Take yourself to the hospital. Follow God. We cannot do that. Our nature, because of what happened in the first book of the Bible in Genesis, the first people who disobeyed God, Adam and Eve, that curse has permeated throughout every generation, including this one. And we are spiritually unresponsive, and we are dead. And we cannot please God. We cannot follow God. We cannot know God. But some might say, well, God knows I'm not perfect, but I'm doing my best. God knows I'm not perfect, but I'm doing my best. That is not good enough. 
We must be perfect, but we have no ability to do so. The state of our spiritual death is universal. And all people, all people, Paul says, apart from Christ are dead. This is a very different teaching than what the ancient Greeks taught, that God helps those who help themselves. I'll go this far, and God, you'll take me the rest. This ancient Greek teaching has nothing to do with the Bible. God does not help those who help themselves. God helps the helpless. He helps the helpless, and even more than that, he helps us, his enemies, us who are hostile to him, who, has, who have broken his holy laws. He helps his enemies, us. Us who follow the whims and fancies and the ways of the world. And whenever the Bible uses the word world, in the original language, the Greek, it's where we get the word cosmos. In the Greek, it's cosmos. It's used 186 times in the Greek New Testament. And every time, almost every time the, world, the word world, cosmos, is used as an evil connotation. And so that's where we are. We follow the path of the world. And we love it. And this world, wherever you're listening from, whether it's in the Yukon or somewhere else in Canada or somewhere else in the world, our world is hostile to Jesus Christ. Our world is hostile to Jesus Christ. The world is totally depraved. This is a doctrine of Christianity. Total depravity or total immorality or total corruption or total wickedness. This means, this doctrine of total depravity, that every part of our being, our mind, our emotions, our heart, our will, is affected by original sin. It's affected by the fall. We do not think the way we should. We do not speak in a way that honors God. We do not treat our money in a way that honors God. Everything is corrupted by sin. This is what total depravity means. It doesn't mean that we're as evil as we could be or that we do not do any good. But all of us, we are depraved totally. And this deprivation, this corruption is so profound, it is so deep that Paul in his letter to the Roman church, in chapter 3, starting in verse 10, he says this, No one is righteous, not even one. Because some might think, well, what about, what about Sharon? She's really nice. Paul's saying, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. The depth of depravity is universal and cataclysmic. You and I are sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. And we have entered the world spiritually dead. We have no desire or ability to respond to God. And we have no ability to please him. One of the writers in the Old Testament, he continues this thought. Psalm 51, chapter 5, 
the writer of the psalm says, For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. We are born in sin. And sin is a violation of all of God's good and divine commandments. We have offended God in thought, word, and deed. We belong to a family who is rebellious against God, and we do not love him, and we do not like him. In fact, we are hostile to him. We are born, we are born fully condemned and guilty because of our sinful nature. That's what Paul is saying in verse 3. Our sinful nature is inescapable, and it is total. And to escape this hopeless situation, we need a completely new nature. And Paul opens up in verse 4 with two of the most profound, most beautiful, and amazing truths found in two words to combat our hopeless situation. Verse 4, it says, But God. But God is so rich in mercy, and he has loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. The opening three verses of Ephesians 2 says, You are dead. You are at the bottom of the darkest, deepest sea with no ability to rise up. But in verse 4, Paul says, But God, who's so rich in mercy and love, raised you from the dead, from your hopeless situation, from your total depravity, and gives you new life. New life life because of his own love for us that is the good news of the gospel when things look so desolate paul is proclaiming these two amazing words but god this is out of his love and not because of anything we've done and not because of who we are it's because of who god is so we're not just struggling, needing a helping hand. We're not swimmers who need a raft. We are dead, lifeless, without a pulse, without any way to go. But God loves the unlovable. God loves the loveless. He gives life to the lifeless. And he is merciful to those who do not deserve mercy. This is amazing grace. This is what we sing about. This is what God has done. Why did he do this? Why did God do all this? Well, Paul answers in verse 7. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us, who are united with Christ Jesus. He is... He is taking us, and through our lives, he's saying, through every generation, through every generation, through every age, when you look at them, you'll see my amazing kindness, my amazing grace towards them, and all that I've done for them in Christ Jesus. You ever meet, you ever meet parents who just love showing off their kids? You know, they're three or four years old, and 
you know, they're probably walking by now, by three or four. But when they're having their, they have the first word, and it's just, bleh. And they caught it on film. It's so amazing. And they want to share it to everybody. Look, my kid is talking. I mean, when I look at that, I was like, that's not talking. That's just noise. But the, the, the parents are excited. They're elated. They want to show off their children. They're so proud of them because of their love for them. This is what Jesus, this is what God is doing through Jesus. Verse 7, so God can point to us in all future ages as, a, as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us. That's what he's doing. He's showing us, displaying us so that people would marvel at God's grace and kindness. This is why he did it. But how did he do this? How did he save us? Verses 8 and 9 of Ephesians 2 are the gospel in a nutshell. I think sometimes the church can seem so powerless or struggling, they can seem in a bad way because they don't understand the gospel. And I think the world that are not Christians, we have done a bad job of explaining what the gospel is. Christianity, people think, oh, I'll just send my kid to church and they'll be really nice kids. They're going to get really good moral teachings and it's just this great institution and that's all it is. No, the gospel is in verses 8 to 9 of Ephesians 2. This is the gospel in a nutshell. He says in verse 8, Paul, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God is saying, I saved you because the freedom of my own kindness, my grace towards you. And when you believed in the gospel, this is something you cannot take credit for. This is something you cannot earn. This is something that God has completely accomplished on his own behalf through the power of Jesus. This is the gospel. God saves the dead. He brings the dead to life and we are now responsive to God and we love him and we cherish him as our highest treasure. Christianity is not about making bad people good. I don't know how many times when people are in a bad way, they come to church thinking it'll just fix them. The church is not a self-help program. God is life and God is about raising the dead to life, not just making bad people good. That is the gospel. And that is the free gift that he offers everybody, no matter your income or race or your history with the church. He says, anyone who believes in this will be saved. And once that change happens in verse 10, Paul says, for we are God's masterpiece. We are his masterpiece. There may not be a single description that is greater than this of the Christian. When God says, you, me, those who believe in Jesus are his masterpiece. 
Our faith is a gift from God. And we are confident to trust and rely upon Christ Jesus and what he's done. This is the only way we can be saved. There is no other religion that saves. Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, born of the Virgin Mary, growing up, being crucified on a Roman cross, for our sins, he paid the penalty that we deserved. And by faith in who he is and what he's done, we gain salvation. When he was crucified, he didn't stay on that cross, nor did he stay in the tomb. He's alive. And Paul is saying, where Christ is, God will raise you and put you in the heavenly places. We do not earn this. Christianity is not salvation by works. Unlike the Romans, unlike, not Romans, unlike the Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, Islam is a faith, is a works-based faith. Christianity is not based on works. It is based on the supernatural of God, supernatural work of God in our lives. God not only saves us from our sin, he saves us to good works. Why were we made? Why did God save us? Why do we live? Verse 10 is the answer in Ephesians 2. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. We are saved from our sin, our total depravity, to good works, to be a light in our community, to bring the hope of the gospel to broken families, to come alongside the lost, the forgotten, the broken, the neglected, the rejected. That's what Christ has done. And we bring this news freely as his ambassadors. These are the good works we are called to in the Yukon or wherever you're listening from. We are saved from our sin to and for good works that glorify God. And so Paul's teaching us that when we receive the salvation, there is no excuse to be passive or complacent in our salvation. If we are Christians and we profess to be so, and we are complacent and passive in our faith, we might not understand Ephesians chapter 2. And specifically, we do not understand Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. We do not understand the gospel. When God saves us so freely, it transforms us completely to live a life of joy and passion for God, to be in his word, studying it, studying it, not out of obligation, but when we read the Bible, we are reading and hearing from God himself. We are seeing his character. We get to know him more. We know ourselves more. We are not to be passive or complacent, but joyful and bold. And I'll close with this. When every other religion is focusing on things such as law or ritual, the key word for Christianity is grace. Grace. God has taken us graciously from hell to heaven. 
from slavery to sin to freedom in Christ, from darkness to light, from despair to hope, from wrath to glory, from death to life. This is the gospel that we want all Yukoners to know. This is the gospel we want the entire world to hear. Whatever their language is, we go there sharing of this amazing news of the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this incredibly rich and deep letter that Paul has written. And would this be a reality in my life, in our lives, that these just wouldn't be words on a page, but they're what we are hearing from the divine word of God. Would it work powerfully throughout the Yukon? Would we see many lives saved by your grace? And would you use us as your instruments to bring about your good news to a fallen and broken world? And we do this all for the praise of your name, for the glory and honor of your name alone. Amen.